everyone. Hi, hello. It is me, Allison Rosen, and I am sitting here in Dining Room Studios with showbiz's Jake Fogelnest. Hello and welcome. Hello, how are you? I'm good. I'm just going to put this out there right away. I know Terry Gross would never do this, but I'm going to say... <laughs> I feel really weird and really spacey today, and I'm hoping it does not uh, leach into the interview. We don't know what Terry Gross does before the before the microphone turns on. Like you know, we you could because you could still cut this part out. I you know I could I won't you but won't I could. but you could. But Terry Gross might because because as I understand it, um, you go to some studio somewhere. Mm-hmm. Terry Gross is is just in your headphones because she's in Philadelphia. Because right. why should Terry Gross like come to you? Come to you? Why should she? Why should step she? to you? And like that's how she does the interview. So you don't know before the mic goes on, she could just be like, "I got to tell you, today's a real shit bird or right. something." You know what I mean? Yeah. And and, and uh, I, I I don't know. I'll find out when I sit down with Terry Gross, is which I'm doing later up? today. Uncanny. No. What are the chances? <laughs> I'm not sitting down with it Terry. is interesting. And what I was going to say was weird. And then at the last minute, I, I, I took a detour because I'm like, you never know. I might rub shoulders with Terry Gross soon. You know, it's um, an entirely, it's, it's entirely possible. Possible, right? Yeah. So I want to, you know, preserve that. But it's weird that she, I'm, my understanding is she chooses not to ever be yeah, in the same location. Like she feels like she does it. She's better if it's just on the essentially on the phone or ISDN or whatever they do. That has become her her interview style. Yeah, she also has the, a good name for a garbage pail kid. Like That's true, Terry Gross would be like yeah. a. It's a really good garbage pail kid name. Howard Stern also, I, as I understand, is kind of separated from everyone behind a something or other. Well, Howard um, has sort of. His it's very interesting the way his studio is laid out. Like he, you, you walk in, and he, you kind of can't see anything except his head, the <laughs> way that they've built it. But I have never experienced more direct eye contact with a human being than Howard Stern. He's got these like very piercing mm, blue eyes that you you really do lock eyes with them. But like you can't see Fred or or Benji or Robin's in the, you know the booth. But like it's all about direct eye contact with right. Howard Stern. My eyeballs are self-conscious suddenly. Have you noticed that? Like anytime someone mentions eye contact, then you become very aware of it's, where your eyes it's are. It's too much eye contact with Howard because <laughs> okay. it's like, because you're sort of having this experience of like, it's Howard Stern. Well, for me, it's just like, oh, you're someone I've looked up to since I was 13 years old. So, right. so it was, it's just a lot. Like Do I prefer you... someone a little bit like, who's just sort of like, well, not, not that thing of like somebody looking down at the ground, but right. like you the eye contact that we're having right now oh, good. is so appropriate. I'm so aware of it no, and I feel weird. I feel really good about it. I'm okay. very, very comfortable. Do you think, note, I'm looking away <laughs> and, and I'm thinking like, is this normally what I do? Is this normally where my eyes go when I begin a sentence? Just this whatever way? you do, don't blink. <laughs> Just blinked 600 times. <laughs> um, do you think that's part of the reason that Howard Stern is able to get a lot out of people because he like give, because of this unflinching eye contact. And the reason I ask is I had a gynecologist who when she asked she would like come into the room and she would look me in the eyes in this like piercing kind of way and be like, "How are you?" And I'd be like, "I'm good, but I I don't like I don't know. It made it made it so that I felt like I was just supposed to like begin spilling my guts." Right. There, well, there are these people that I Howard Stern 
is somebody that I look at and I'm like, I'll, I'll never be able to be in, intense like that. Mm-hmm. And another one is like Lauren Michaels, who who doesn't really say much and is just sort of a presence. And, you know, it's like I, I'm just too animated mm-hmm. of a person. And just I, I find, I, I'm comfortable in my own skin, finally, at, you know, almost 37 years old. But like. I, I do look at guys like like Lauren or Howard, just or, or, or even just people that I know in my life. Billy like, Zoom, yeah, yeah, and I'm just like, why can't I just project that? You know, ooh, what now? What is the that that you want to project? Like just just a just an inner calm and a and a confidence and a and and can speak less words yes that would be so cool. And I was in, and if I was in like a blazer all the time, mm-hmm. and I was just, just like. Oh, it's just everything's just fine. Right. Like the right. I instead of being like, like, it's the best. Everything's great. Like, I'm, you know, like a spaz. Also feel the need to sort of fill in all the spaces and just kind of like do a little dance all the time as opposed to that, that quiet, confident person who just says three words. And then if the other person is waiting for more, they're just like, that's it. Yeah. You get those three words. I want to be one of these people. It's like, it's, it's like, oh, they, oh, they laughed. That must mean something. As you know, like just like we're like, as opposed to what? As opposed to somebody who's just like, ah, it's funny. We're all having a good time, but just like, oh, they, oh, they they laughed. It yeah. must be very funny. I'm I'm not that guy. Right? Do you want to be intimidating? I don't want to be more intimidating. I would. I think I'd be. I think it'd be nice to be a little bit more intimidating. Just you know, because what if I get attacked by a shark or something? Right. You know, just you know, so I sharks think, respond to intimidation. Yeah, just some, just something where it's just like, oh, I, I don't. But then I've had people tell me that I am intimidating, which or that they were afraid to talk to me, which I always find uh, absurd. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I and I guess it's you know, I do sometimes project like, oh, I'm a very important person in show business or whatever. But I'm because sometimes you actually say that. Well, and sometimes I actually mean it. And <laughs> but but I'm but I'm you know and then you you meet me and i'm like hey what's going on like like i have a high sort of jay leno mm. at his worst voice <laughs> <laughs> i you seem friendly and approachable to me good but i think that those are good things i do too but i could i could see you on a set if you're in the middle of something i could see being afraid to approach you actually sure okay well that's yeah i, I think if i am on a set i want to make it sort of fun but i also want to be able to get everything done that we need to get done so so there's so much stuff to get into, including the fact that you and my producer, Jeff, uh, have met before. But I just want to ask this because it popped into my head as we were talking about like intensity and intimidation and stuff, even though it's not quite all that. But my husband and I keep having this conversation about what presence means uh-huh. because it, it keeps happening when we're watching Saturday Night Live, actually, and we're looking at the different guest hosts. Uh-huh. And to him, when he says presence, he means to him, the people that have presence are people whose emotions readily show on their face. Like we both think Adam Driver is just amazing. Yeah. And so much is accessible right on his face as opposed to people who maybe are uncomfortable on stage or on camera and who it's like their their internal life is not accessible to the audience because it's kind of like hidden. Sure. Um, That's... When he says presence, that's what he means. When I say presence, well, actually, the way the conversation goes is then I say, yeah, but Ryan Seacrest is like held up as the ultimate he has presence. Do you feel like he has emotion? And then he and I mean presence in a different way. I think you're talking about two different things. I think you're talking about authenticity, which uh, when I see Adam Driver and it's just like, first of all, 
all, if you don't show up on my TV screen unless you got the, the it factor, right? Or a certain je ne sais quoi. I, I, I don't, I don't mm-hmm. get out of get on my face unless you got that. But I think can you get a cable box that'll filter out? I, it's you, like the V chip. It's very, very expensive, and you have to have one of those curved TVs. <laughs> uh, but, but like I think so, you you can't take two different celebrities, uh, more different celebrities than Adam Driver. And Ryan Seacrest. Right. I don't think either of them could do each other's job. Mm-hmm. I don't want to see. Not imagine Adam Seacrest Driver. Yeah, like, as Kylo Ren. Yeah, as, as Kylo Ren or or Seacrest on Girls. That would be the right. strangest thing ever. I also don't want to see Adam Driver go. Uh, we'll find out after this. Right. Bit, that'd be the weird. Like it's two. It's two different jobs that they have. Um, but I think with somebody like. <laughs> I love that we're talking about the difference between what if it's like the weirdest stand-up routine ever. It's I know. Like, hey, you know, there's a lot. You know, there's a lot of differences between Adam Driver and Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> it's, like, it's like George Carlin, if he if he was still with us, it just completely lost his mind. Yeah, and very specific. <laughs> um, but no, I think you're right. I think yeah. my husband is talking about authenticity. Yeah. Versus when I say. I mean, presence in the like real traditional host way. Like to me. When I say presence, what I'm talking about is when that person is on screen, all eyes go to them. They command. Sure, the they room. command the screen, and I yeah. think that they both do that to very different people in very different ways. And I also think that most of the world knows who Ryan Seacrest is. Mm-hmm. And I guess now that Adam Driver's in Star Wars, perhaps most of the world. But but until very recently, you know, I, I sort of exist in this world where where you know. I think that most of the world doesn't know who Lena Dunham is. I th- you know, and to oh, me, that's like, oh, that's a very that's big a star. Good reminder. Yeah, that's a good reminder of of the t- taking the temperature of most of the world. Like that, most, because yeah. I only, you know, very sort of self imposed live in a. You know, when I when I hear people complain about politics, I'm like, well, why don't you just not go anywhere except New York or Los Angeles and then just spend time in Manhattan and Los Feliz and then you'll be fine. <laughs> Live in a liberal Jew cocoon bubble and you'll have no trouble. You know, like things won't bother you as much. But I, that isn't the rest of the world. You know, I, right. I, I, I think, you know, to me, it's just like you, you can't get a bigger icon than John Waters. And to most people, they're like. Who's that? Mm-hmm. And you'll be like, he made hairspray, and they'll go, "What's that?" And it's just, I don't know. I don't <laughs> so, know. where have you lived? Where have I lived? Yes. Uh, well, I was born in Philadelphia, uh, and then very quickly moved to New York City, uh, and then I moved to Los Angeles about four years ago. So okay. Philadelphia, New York, and Los Angeles. Gotcha. So let's let's address this. Okay. You and Jeff met at a monkeys rehearsal. Sure, we did. It was band practice. It was for yeah. the monkeys. What it was was, I guess, the monkeys were going out on one of their reunion tours. Right. I got a phone call from my friend Rachel Lickman, mm-hmm. who does work with the monkeys. She does all the video stuff, and she's like, "What are you doing?" And I said, "I don't know what's going on. Come to Burbank tomorrow. The monkeys are going to run through their entire show before they go out on tour, and they want a small group of people to come and just sort of be an audience." And I said. I will be there because who doesn't want to go to the monkeys band practice? Yeah. How much of a monkeys fan are you though? I am a pretty huge monkeys fan. Okay. As am I. Like like Matt, like I love the monkeys, the TV show, the songs, yep. and and have for, I don't know, thirty years. Yeah, always. I was telling Allison before the show that they're kind of the reason I started becoming a musician because I liked the TV show and I liked their songs when I was a kid and they were playing music and I thought, oh, well, I could 
I would like to play music. That looks like fun. I'm not like a casual monkeys fan. So it was right. a very it was a <laughs> right, very big deal for me. It was yeah, like, no, it was huge for me. When it was, was this? This was a couple two, years ago. Yeah, two yeah. summers ago. Yeah. And uh yeah, it was crazy. It was like going to see your friend's band at some scuzzy lockout in an in, 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 in industrial industrial neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. And it Except, was it was Mickey Dolan's Peter Tork and Michael Nesmith. Yeah. And they were like five feet away from you and they played everything that you would ever want to hear. Yeah. Like include like Papa Jean's blues. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was the equivalent of three bands, normal sets. I mean, they yeah. played everything, deep cuts stuff off of, uh, uh, they head. played all of headquarters. I yeah. believe like yeah. I'm not a casual monkeys fan and I don't resent anybody that is because, but, but I do, I, I don't know. They're, they're, they're great. I have a, um, uh, I have to ask the question that I've, I probably already know the answer to. But was Bill Mooney there? He was. <laughs> he was. Yeah. yeah so yeah. Davy Jones passed away. He, he passed did. away. Yeah. They don't. They didn't have anyone replacing him. No. What they did was they had a, uh, a, a a video tribute to him that was really lovely. And then for Daydream Believer uh, on that tour, what they did was they picked somebody from the audience. They picked a young lady, a lucky young lady from the audience, to come up, and then everybody sang Daydream Believer together, oh, that's sweet. and it was very nice. Yeah. And once I thought about it, no offense to Davy Jones, but when I thought of all the Monkees songs Mickey, and big hits. Mickey's doing a lot of the heavy lifting on lead vocals. Yeah. And yeah. It, Daydream Believer was kind of Davy's signature song. Mm-hmm. And I, that was that's a huge song for the Monkees, but... It's Mi- not Mickey, the biggest song in the set. No. And Mickey did a lot of the work. Who's, uh, Jake, who's your favorite Monkey? Oh, that's so hard. Well, I mean, Mike Nesmith... Not hard for Jeff. I think Mike Nesmith is so funny and dry and funny like mike nesmith on the tv show and, and also probably as a songwriter mm-hmm. um so I, I think i have an affinity for mike nesmith but at, but then yeah mickey's just he's just great yeah mickey was no my one favorite likes peter do they i like peter I like peter, peter has his place yeah anti griselda <laughs> i mean no a, one likes him the most yeah but i think that peter he didn't doesn't want have to presence. be he did you're, you're right <laughs> you're right compared to a to, compared to a mickey uh, or a Davy, yeah. He just he didn't, you know. And, uh, and but I, th- Mike- I think much like Larry Fine from the Three Stooges, yeah. If you exactly, sit, if what you sit and watch, yep, he's doing a lot. Well, and he's and in- him be- him there being small and being weird is very fun. My favorite monkey scene ever is the episode Monkey versus Machine with Peter Tork. Uh, you know, arguing with the robot, you know, and, and, at the job interview is the, right. is the funniest thing. Yet yeah, Peter, this is no, there's no disrespect to Peter Tork, but if you're right. making me pick my favorite monkey, it's not Peter Tork. Is it Mickey or is it? I think it's Mike Nesmith. Nesmith. Yeah. Okay, I think Mike Nesmith. Yeah, Mickey's my favorite, but I I like Mike Nesmith a lot. I think he's a great musician. Yeah, he's a funny guy, interesting guy, smart guy, very interesting. Yeah. Um. But yeah, were most of the other people there like you guys, crazy like monkeys, fans white guys, men? Yeah. yeah, white dudes from were, Philadelphia, from Philadelphia <laughs> with a certain uh, uh, aesthetic to them. Yeah, uh, yeah pretty much. Yeah. White, white, white guys. That somebody said, "Why are these guys? Here? Why are these guys here?" <laughs> because Does everybody know why they're here. Um, yeah, who was? It was a very. I I couldn't get a makeup. It was it's, a lot of guys that looked like they did graphic design work maybe once in a while for Brian Wilson. Yeah, <laughs> like, a lot, a lot you of know, for specific LA people. Yeah, it was LA friends and family kind of people. It seemed like a lot of wasn't old Pam, wasn't Miss Pamela there? Like Pamela DeBars. Oh, if oh, she was, it seems like she I loved would her be. book. Oh, it's amazing. Yeah. yeah. 
If she was, I didn't. I didn't recognize. Her, I might be confusing it with, there. but like that, the people that are friends with those people, right. like like put. Uh, I, if there was a carpool back to Laurel Canyon, I wouldn't have been surprised. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and I was telling Allison there was a moment that you and I were outside and we were talking to my friend Dan, who is their tour manager. Yeah, and Mickey Dolans came over with his luggage or something for Dan to put on yeah. the bus, and he was talking to Dan, and you went to talk to your friend Rachel. And so it was Dan talking to Mickey and me standing there going, <laughs> yeah. And then Dan went to take his luggage onto the bus. And then it was just me and Mickey. You and Mickey. About two and a half feet away from each other and nobody anywhere near us. And he had nowhere else to be. So he just stood there and I stood there. And it was the only time in my life that I ever just completely choked. Like I couldn't even sit, look at him and say hi. I just went, you're just you're just shut down to the point that he must have thought i was rude i mean it was insulting (laughs) that i wasn't saying anything to him that's how just the two of us standing in a phone booth in the middle of a desert and i wouldn't say hi that's funny yeah well yeah what do you get what's the conversation gonna be so you're in the monkeys yeah no i mean i could have said hi or you know oh how's the tour going or you know hey you know he and he really had it together on the drums too i thought he oh yeah he was really good that was the thing they were very good they were good yeah they were very very good and then my final part of the story is that i when i went to see them down in long beach i actually got to go up to the box office and say oh i'm on the guest list and they said okay whose list are you on and i said the monkeys. The monkeys list. I had, yeah, I had. Including dramatic pause at the beginning, (laughs) waiting for the woman working the box office to be duly impressed. And she, and she just was like, yeah, here you go. I I got, we have a limp biscuit here tomorrow. I don't care. (laughs) Um, uh, the, uh, yeah, it was fun. It was a fun day. So Jake Fogelnest. Yes. You do all sorts of things. You write, you direct, you produce, I'm assuming. Yeah. You host. Not so much anymore, but yeah. You have. I have. Oh, yeah. You have a hosting past. Oh, sure. Um, And what is there one thing that you're more most that you're primarily known for over the others in terms of all these things you do? You're really it kind depends of on who threat, you ask. It, it depends on who you ask, and and I have gotten to this point now where I've stopped kind of caring where people know me from. Mm-hmm. Like I, I just am always sort of just focused on what I'm doing at the time, but. I think that it re- it really de- it's really interesting. Like, I went to see um, Blur mm-hmm. uh, at the Hollywood Bowl recently with Courtney Barnett, right? With Courtney Barnett, I just looked at your Instagram. Yeah, I'm not familiar with Courtney Barnett, but a friend just told me how great she is. When the person first said Courtney Barnett, I said, "Oh, from the Polyphonic Spree," because isn't there a Courtney? I the think so. Yeah, man, the lead. Well, Cor- there's Courtney from the Dandy Warhols. That's who I'm thinking. Yeah, of. Courtney Taylor from okay. the Dandy Warhols, and. Uh, so so I went to Blur at the Hollywood Bowl and I for some reason in that crowd of of people in their 30s uh and 40s going to see a Blur show in Los Angeles I was one of the most famous people ever because I hosted an MTV show when I was a teenager. Sport TV, yes. right? So in that in, it depends where you go. And then if I go like around UCB, it's just like, oh, you're right on all the shows. And mm-hmm. the, it's just the you Wet know. Hot American Summer, Billy on the Street, Difficult People. Yes, yeah. What are the other? That, those are, are, those those the, are main, the ones it, right now. Yeah. I'm not suggesting that's not enough. <laughs> yeah. I, just didn't, I wanted to make sure I wasn't leaving anything out. Yeah, that's no, a pretty that's, big deal. Yeah, yeah those, those shows, uh, uh, I, I've worked on, on all of those. And uh, 
and yeah, but and then and then a lot of people knew me because I was on the radio for many years. Mm-hmm. I, I, you know, uh, on Sirius XM, and I was on K Rock before that. And what did you do on K Rock? Uh, I did a couple of things. Well, I did a uh, new music show on the Sunday nights when I was a teenager, and then I quit, and then I went back maybe five, six years later and was one of the DJs. And then um, when they switched to a talk format, I stayed there for about six weeks until I finished my deal at Sirius and hosted a talk show Mm -hmm. at night. So I did, you know, just, it was, yeah, it was, this was years ago, but it was really fun. And you had a podcast, The Fogel Nest. Yeah. And then I did a podcast. But you you don't do that anymore though, right? I don't. I don't do it anymore. Uh, I miss doing it because I like to talk to people and it's, it was, it was fun, but I just don't have time to do it uh and uh yeah i just don't have time to do it mm-hmm. I, I, you know that's and i i i miss it but i don't i guess i don't miss it enough to to bring it back let's go back to the beginning okay okay so you grew up in philadelphia yes um what was your childhood like it was fun it was uh it was a childhood of someone who just very pointedly decided around 7 or 8 years old i'm not really interested in the whole childhood thing <laughs> Like, I just didn't care. I did not want to be a kid. I'm so happy to be the age I am now because I've been trying to get to this point (laughs) since I was seven. Uh Uh, So I just, you know, and it wasn't a thing that was pushed on me. um, But, you know, from from the time I was a very little boy, my interests were John Waters movies Mm -hmm. and the Rocky Horror Picture Show and cult fringe things and like rock music and and uh saturday night live and counterculture thing how were you exposed to this kind of counterculture stuff so young you know it's it's a weird it's a weird thing um i would see i would seek it out and i would say to my parents uh what's that what's this thing and they would there was no oh that's that's for when you're older mm-hmm. that was a conversation that never happened i um we i grew up in the era of great video stores um and in philadelphia and then again later on in new york there was a video store called tla video and tla video opened up literally next door to my house where i was growing up in philadelphia and um this was, you know, the equivalent of like a Kim's video mm-hmm. in New York where just they have everything. It's divided by director and it would just be like you go in there, you, you go and look at something and, and, and next thing you know, you're going home with Mr. Mike's Mondo video, the Michael O'Donohue, you know, film, you know, failed TV show that became a movie. I would just purely like, what's this? And, and and video store clerks would be like, oh, you like John Waters? Well, you should watch Faster Pussycat Kill Kill. It's his favorite movie. And you were like movie. seven at the Seven point? or eight years old. That's crazy. And there's no boundaries. Uh, you, know, I, you know, there was no parent that was just like, perhaps maybe not this. <laughs> but also, what are you going to say to me? You know, like I'm the same as I am now. I'm, I'm just like, nah, 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 as I was as a child. <laughs> like right. I, I have... You know, I, in some ways, I've evolved a lot, as any human being should, between seven years old and thirty-seven years old. And in some ways, I'm exactly the same. Mm-hmm. I think I have a nicer couch now. It's a more <laughs> refined taste. But like, other than that, like your aesthetic has been the same. My aesthetic has been the same since I was a little boy, mm-hmm. and um, and so I I don't know how or why, but it just was just sort of like I I really do feel like certain brains 
uh, are hardwired to seek out certain mm-hmm. things. And that was just how I was as a kid. And I just got started really, really early. What did your parents do? My mom uh, was a graphic designer and my father was a, a criminal defense attorney. And do you have siblings? I don't have siblings. So that was the other thing. I was the only child. And, and uh, you know, I remember when we got cable, you know, it's just it, it was the perfect storm of like somebody who's going to be the kind of kid I was, you know. <laughs> But yeah, no, my um, my parents aren't in show business at all, and I resent them every day for it. It <laughs> drives me crazy. Did um, you want to get into showbiz real young? Yeah, I I wrote John Waters my that you know the story that I've told before, but it's, it is I think indicative of the kind of kid that I was. Is that when I was seven years old, I wrote John Waters a of a letter, and the letter said, "John, I've read your book." <laughs> I understand that you have three films that are not released on video um, that are your early sort of proto-student films. I would like to release them on video. Please get back to me when you can. And he called me and he was just like, hey, how's it going? This is John Waters. Why are you watching my movies? And I can't let you release those. They're very bad. And years Did you later, say how old you were in the letter? Yeah, or? I believe okay. I said. I, I, I don't know that I said how old I was, but the handwriting was probably a dead <laughs> it giveaway. Was written in Although if you're, get, if you're John Waters and you're getting fan mail and the handwriting, it could be, oh, this could be an eight-year-old child or this could be a schizophrenic person. Right. I don't know. But I, so I must have said how old I was. And... Um, and uh, he called me and was and was so it was so exciting and bet, so nice, yeah. you know, and uh, I uh, yeah, I just that was the kind of kid that I was and and, you know, always with a video camera and like, you know, but but, you know, you hear these stories about, you know, it's it's not, it's sort of a cliche thing of like, I was always the guy playing with the video camera and stuff and I made my own version of Star Wars and everything. <laughs> and like, yeah, that's that's I was that kid, too. But I was not making Star Wars. I wanted to make, you know pink flamingos and it's just and and look it's an isolating and lonely place to be sometimes late at night where i'm like oh no oh i'm just weird i'm i'm I'm, you know it's the kind of stuff you're supposed to get into um in college or whatever when you're rebelling against when you're yeah something so so the idea of rebellion at me is to to me at this point is exhausting it's like (laughs) what do i i'm not i don't need to rebel i want to have a nice house did you um how did you regard your classmates and how did they regard you? It was, this was interesting. Um, I got along really, really well with people uh, at my school uh, until about seventh grade when I think in seventh grade is when teen, you're, you're 12 years old or whatever. And I think that's when you, you know, you're starting to feel like I got to fit in mm-hmm. and my weird shtick which was so interesting and enthusiastic that everybody's so enthusiastic became like, I don't understand that this doesn't fit into top 40 radio. I'm going to, we're going to shun this. So I lost a lot of friends all of a sudden in seventh grade. So my reaction to that was I got very sad at first. And then I became the kid who was just like, Oh, you guys think I'm crazy? Well, okay. Let me show you how crazy I'm going to be, and I'm going to start hanging out with the seniors and uh, and just be like a bad kid, and uh, you know, start cr- making crank phone calls and you know, just being uh, a menace. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then I moved to New York, and I moved to uh, a high school. Did went- your parents go with you? Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's which valid question. Um, my father moved to New York in 1985. So I was about five or six years old. When Did they my, split up? They were. They have never been together. 
So oh, like they were together, okay. they were together, and then I think right before I was born, they had a, they sat down and had a really good talk with each other and said, "Hey, let's not bring a child into this." And they, so I've never known them together. Okay. So, th- so who did you live with? I live with my mom. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and my dad moved to New York from Philadelphia in like 1985. And so I would go visit him every weekend. And, um, that was great. You know, it was, you you run around in New York city with your dad for the weekend and you come back to, you know, Philadelphia. And then around 93, when I was about 13 years old, my mom had gotten a job in New York, uh, working for DC comics. And she was, God bless her. I, I think about this now. It sounds insane. She would commute every day from Philadelphia to New York for this job. So around 93, she was like, you were not, I'm not commuting anymore. And I was very sad to, mm. to, to move to New York city. And, and I just said, all right, I'll move to New York. But I have one condition. And they were like, what was, what, you know? And I said, I need to get my own public access television show. And they're like, <laughs> fine, sure, whatever, get it. That, and they, and they let me. You know, and then the thing became a cult phenomenon. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? <laughs> how, how, how did you do that? Well, they will give any lunatic um, in New York City a public access show as long as you fill out a couple pieces of paperwork. Um, and w- growing up in New York City in the 80s with my dad on the weekend, the difference in the cable television that we got in Philly and what we got in New York was massive. Uh, in, I remember cable in Philadelphia, we had a, a little box and if anybody can find me one of these boxes today, I'd love to have it in, in, in my house. I've, I search on eBay all the time and it was a little box and it had a two, two switches on it, TV and HBO. And that was it. <laughs> but in, in, um, New York, we had this, this brown box with all these different buttons and it had MTV, but it also had like three channels that were public access that were like just lunatics in new york Mm -hmm. city that they had given cameras to and uh so i was very aware of this from a very early age because i was just like just very much in the sort of john water i remember seeing john waters movies when i was little and being like that counts that's a movie i could do that and the same thing with public access it was like oh i don't need a lot of money and i don't need permission and i don't need you know paramount pictures i can just put something uh, i can just do it so you know when you're 14 15 years old and it's 1993 1994 and video cameras are affordable and you save up some money you can buy a video camera and you fill out a couple of pieces of paperwork and then you have a tv show so that was called squirt tv yes and what was the format the format was me um First of all, I called it squirt tv because there was a lot of porn on uh public access television and in the days of the program guide uh, where you would you would turn on a channel and a program guide would be scrolling mm-hmm. through and it'd be like I, I thought it would be interesting if the show I, I I was small for my age and I still am and I said if I call it Squirt TV it's like oh it's a little kid doing a TV show but but it could also be interpreted as some sort of interesting pornography so maybe somebody will tune into it and then see a young boy and be confused and mm-hmm. the format was. I would get up, uh, I, 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 camera would come on and I'd be like, hey, what's up? I'm Jake. Welcome to the show. Here's what's on my mind this week. And I'd show clips of things. And then every, and then as it evolved, a band, band started to come over and like, it became a cult thing very, very quickly. Mm-hmm. And I have theories about why that happened, which is like, it was on Sunday nights at 1230 AM, um, on channel 16, MTV was channel 20, um, 
MTV Sunday nights at midnight at that time had 120 minutes, which was the cool music video show. Mm -hmm. Um, so people would flick down a couple of channels. They would see a Devo music video that I was showing. Uh, and then they'd be like, oh, cool. Devo music video. But then all of a sudden this kid would pop up and be like, here's the thing about school. And (laughs) they were like, what am I watching? And I put a voicemail number on the bottom of the screen for the entire show. So I would get voicemail messages and, you know, very quickly people started calling and it it was crazy. And what did your, so this was at your mom's apartment. Mm -hmm. What did your mom think of it all? She kind of was not really aware of what was going on. Were you you aware of what was going on as it was happening? Like, were you aware that it was become getting this cult following? Absolutely. I, 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 I mean, it was surreal as much as any sort of 15 year old can be aware of that. But Mm -hmm. like, I, I, you know, it, it, I, I would talk about a band. My favorite story is I'd be like, I would say on the show, I need a haircut. I, I, my hair is too long. I definitely need to get a haircut. And then I would get, check the voicemail and be like, hey, this is Thurston Moore from Sonic Youth. Kim Gordon will give you a haircut. Here's <laughs> our phone number. And then I would, you know, find out that, oh, well, four blocks away from my house lived Kim Gordon and Thurston Moore. How was the haircut if she gave you one? She did not give me a haircut. Oh. I did not take her up on it. But then what happened Why? was that, because the, it turned into Thurston interviewing me for Sassy Magazine. Like, I loved Sassy. Of I mean, course. Every girl loved Sassy. Yeah, but, and, and any guy worth a damn did too. Uh, and, and Sassy had Dirt Magazine, which was yes. the, for boys, and which Spike Jones was uh, one of the editors of. But yeah, that was, you know, so I was aware that that was happening. Um, why it happened, I have no idea, you know. So you knew how, I mean, I'm just thinking for you to make the show and to be showing clips and things like that, like you had some sort of technical know-how, right? Yeah, I went to a, uh, uh, there was a camp that I went to uh, in, in Philadelphia where basically they just gave video equipment to kids and said, I don't know, figure stuff out. And I became very, uh, you know, obsessed with sort of, and this would have been like late eighties, early nineties video equipment. And, um, so I, you know, I really learned how to do that stuff there. So you had the public access show for how long before MTV snapped it up? I think about a year or two, it was maybe a year or two. I started doing the show on public access in 94 and then in 1996 it became and it, they got picked up to series. Mm-hmm. We did pilots in in 1995. Did they come to you or did you go to them? They came to me. Well, it was it was very interesting time because uh there was a you, you know entourage. Yes. You know uh, Ari Gold? Sure. There's a real Ari Gold? Right. Ari Emanuel who uh Rahm Emanuel's brother Rahm Emanuel's the less successful Emanuel <laughs> uh is Rahm because Ari is every right. you know, is huge he, <laughs> and I, I'm still with the agency that runs William Moore's Endeavor he was like I, I I think there's something here a tape got to him I think through the Beastie Boys <laughs> uh and uh I did a special for Comedy Central I did some pilots for MTV and just very quickly at it was like 16 16 yeah Jeez. and it was like Where's this going to land? Comedy Central or MTV? And this was Comedy Central before South Park. Mm-hmm. So MTV was the the place to go at the time. And uh, yeah, no, I didn't get, you know, it was all, it all sort of, you know, all, it just became a whole thing, you know, as, as any of these, you know, now 
It's essentially any kid with a YouTube channel. Like, I don't know what the modern day version of that is for a kid. Like, but like if a kid's getting a lot of hits on YouTube, what do they get contacted by BuzzFeed? Do they, you know, do right. they, you know, they join one of those multi-channel networks and stuff <laughs> like there, there wasn't all that back then. There was like, well, you can do the show on MTV. Okay. That sounds good. Was it the same show once it went to MTV? Pretty. It was the same show that I wanted to do. Um, I was very clear. I mean, was it still in the in your apartment? Oh, yeah. I was very clear about that. I said, we can't take this show and move it into a studio because that is literally the joke in Wayne's world. We cannot do We will be killed if we do that. So we did shoot it out of my bedroom, but we art directed my bedroom because if you are a 16-year-old boy and somebody says MTV will pay for your bedroom to be whatever you want, any 16-year-old boy is going to do that. So by the time we got done with it, it looked like a studio. <laughs> and, you know, now I look back, I'd be like, I should have just done it in a studio because then you got, you get people filming in your house. It's a huge pain in the ass. Right. Like, but because of that joke in Wayne's World, I was insistent, like, no, no, no. Like, it will be, and this is when selling out was a thing. Uh, that comes up on this podcast not as much as it should for how much i think about it but it has come up more than once that like and even i just did another podcast recently not mine it was uh with jensen carp and we were talking sure. about it like selling out is that was, not a thing well, anymore. that's not a thing anymore it was the only thing do you when remember we were growing how up. revolution uh, no pun intended but when the beatles revolution was used in a nike commercial yeah and you we can't... are that was news People were incensed. If if a band you liked put their music in a commercial, they were you the, had to question whether you could still you like couldn't the band. like them anymore because yeah. it meant that they were not in it for the right reasons. Now, I mean, the fact that people discover music through um, Apple commercials sure. and stuff like it's yeah. so the best thing that can happen to a band today is their music gets used in a commercial's yeah. licensing. It's the only Fans way they can make have money. No problem with it, but I mean, it was such a it's yeah, young people. Well, it's so people don't even don't even like why would it be a problem? It's, it doesn't it doesn't register for them. Right. So in and so in 1990 and I think, by the way, our world is better for this now. Like, yeah. I don't you know, I think it was a little it's a little ridiculous how. Uh, so in 1995, it's like I'm, if I'm going to sell out to MTV, which I wanted to because it was a bigger audience, we got to do it my way. Yeah. And, you know, we we did. You know, we did. And I think MTV, to, to their credit, were uh, aware of that, too. Um yeah. How long was it on MTV? We did uh, about six episodes. You know, it was a very short run. Why? Um, because I was 17 years old and became a lunatic. Uh, and, it, you know, it just, you, know you could, I'm sure you can imagine. I grew up in New York City. I've been trying to be an adult since I was, uh, you know, you know, it was going to it was going to go down a certain way for me. <laughs> I find you a little much, to be honest. And I yeah. can imagine that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so what did, what what kind of lunatic? Um, I had a drug problem at 17. Oh yeah. What kind of drugs? All of them. Okay. All the drugs. And then I'm, you know, had you gotten into them before that? Oh yeah. At yeah. what age? Oh, like 13. Ah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, that, that, you know, came to a head when I was, uh, you know, a, a, a teenager and, um, and then in just sort of the most wonderful way of my life being blessed by the time that I was coming out of the fog of that and starting to get healthy, the Upright Citizens Brigade came to New York City and like what year? my when, actual how career you started. I was 16, 17, 17 years old when UCB came to New York. Uh, and, you know, my the story I always say about them is like the UCB came and they showed up at like Luna Lounge or whatever. Or, or it was rebar before that. We're like, hi, we're the Upright Citizens Brigade. We're going to we're from Chicago. 
we're going to uh, start teaching classes. We're going to open up a theater. We're going to get our own show on Comedy Central. And New York City was like, yeah, great. That sounds awesome. Welcome. And that's what happened. Mm-hmm. And um, so I met those guys through because the alternative comedy thing was starting to happen around there and I would go every week and you know it was like Marin and Todd Berry and UCB and uh just this wonderful community of people and I was you know at the prime age for like are there like-minded people that are my age that also want to do comedy and how do I do it and oh thank god a school opened up Mm -hmm. and and, uh and I made all of my friends there you know um it was like the perfect thing to catch me after because like you know I, I was like oh i'm all washed up at 18 you know like right. what what do i do now and just like to be involved in the ground floor as upright citizens brigade was opening was you know the great gift of my life so like what year was that i'm just wondering i lived in new york and i took some classes at ucb in, so 99 oh, okay. is when they opened up the theater after yeah 99 is when they opened up the theater and the first theater on 22nd street and um like i helped run the theater and you know i directed every sketch show there and you know it was just a lot it was just a really and made all my friends right and learned how to do comedy like for real you know i took classes it was probably like 2002 2003 2004 in that zone who were your teachers do you remember um ian roberts sure yeah the best uh, yeah he's amazing yep sean conroy yep and what was her name it was a woman who is out here now and she's married to ari Vuk- betsy stover yes yep i know yeah that was all all like i took classes with ian you know mm-hmm. uh conroy started teaching sort of after like i you know after i my generation of, of people right that's so funny yes a small world yeah um Okay, so I have this story when I was researching you that uh-huh. I printed out. Okay. Uh, it's from MTV News. It was written, I believe, in 1996. Okay. And the headline is, Whatever Happened to Squirt TV star Jake Fogelness? Okay. Relegated to pop culture's back pages or about to make his move? Time will tell. <laughs> and <laughs> That's the subhead. Uh, okay, we asked ourselves over and over, whatever became of Jake from Squirt TV? Well, last Monday night, I decided that stand-up comedy might be more entertaining than the 1996 Olympics or watching prepubescent girls prance around in the tumbling Barbie outfit. So I went to the Luna Lounge the East Village's answer to Caroline's Comedy Club. Holy shit. As I got there, my friends were pointing out comedy celebrities. I felt like I was on the set of Punchline 2. Instead of Tom Hanks and Sally Field, there was a guy from Kids in the Hall and a guy from Comedy Central's The Daily Show. (laughs) During the actual stand-up show, there was a surprise appearance by Jake Fogelnest, former host of the hit talk show Squirt TV. Oh my God. 17... Uh, 17-year-old Jake hosted Squirt TV from his bedroom first... Excuse me. I've forgotten how to read because I got distracted by realizing this is going to ultimately be a disappointing story because it's there's a jump. It says, use handy, continued icon for rest of story. I'm, all However, I'm dying to know is who the writer... I want to know who the writer of the story is. Okay. I hope there's a byline. Let me... Uh, let me see. Lo- looks like Lori Miller. Lori Miller. Um, I'm Googling this. Okay. I'm all right. Just, I, this let is me, crazy. Let me I don't, finish this. It's, uh, yeah, I, whatever, whatever you have. Yeah, it's Lori Miller. Unfortunately, we don't have the rest of it because there was no continue button. But right, anyway. I'll see if I can fill in the blanks. Uh, let's see. 17-year-old Jake hosted Squirt TV from his bedroom first on an... Why can I not parse this? Um, 
Okay. From his bedroom, first on a New York City public access station and then on MTV. The show was canceled in May amid rumors that his parents yanked him off the air because he had become Mr. Smarty Pants or that MTV had given him the boot for the same reason. One comedy insider I talked to said MTV executives canceled the show after Jake didn't show up to shoot an episode. At the Luna Lounge on Monday, Monday, the MC introduced Jake, and that's all I have. Jeff, can you see if you can find... The whole, the whole story. I, first of all, I don't remember this night of doing this bit at Luna. Okay. I don't remember doing it. But there's something that um, makes me feel so good about myself that like I had the balls to go up at Luna and do anything after being this like teenage. Like that's crazy to me. Uh, like I don't know that I would have the courage to do that now. Like, but isn't that kind of the folly of youth sometimes it is oh yeah so so much of my early career is the folly of youth you know but like that's that's crazy because yeah because luna was was happening and like you know and i wasn't a stand-up comic is the thing i'm still not you know i didn't do stand-up comedy so uh was like craig kilborn there who was from the daily show i'm wondering god the the the, you know maybe liz winstead because this is 1996 this is craig kilborn's daily show yeah i don't i don't know who was doing it maybe it was who was who was on the daily show then was that the I, only thing i can think of is like liz winstead that, or i bet it was her i just gotta be liz who's my you know still yeah. my friend today like um that's wild that's a wild thing because i would do bits at luna from time to time but i was not a stand-up comic so it, that's why i think ucb was was welcomed so warmly mm. into new york city because oh this is there's for people that are want to be comedy writers and, and but and, aren't stand up, but don't want to do stand. I never had the disease that I think you need to have to do stand up comedy. And what do you, how would you define that disease? The first of all, there's nothing I respect more than than stand up. Like that's why I'm uncomfortable. Like I don't mind being called a comedy writer, but I, I am uncomfortable when the phrase comedian is used mm. because I like I can get up on a stage tonight at Nerd Melt or UCB or Largo and I can tell a story and I'll do just fine. But if I have to go to Chicago to a Zanies, they're not looking to hear from me at all. But right. you know what? I'm not looking to talk to them either. A stand-up comic is somebody who can get up and uh, the, the disease thing is they'll get up and they'll do material that they have prepared and it'll kill somewhere. And then the next night they'll go do that material somewhere else and it'll bomb completely and they'll go, all right, that's okay. I'll get up and do it again tomorrow. That's a sick person. A sick <laughs> person needs to do that. Yeah. And I have nothing, the utmost respect for it. So Luna was really interesting. It was a lot of me hanging out and just sort of like watching and learning what I thought, you know, cultivating taste of what I thought was good, mm-hmm. what I thought wasn't good. And then when UCB uh, came around and it was improv and sketch. It was like, oh, this is this is a place for me to sort of, uh, uh, you know, find m- my voice and apply did what I like. Initially, did you want to be a performer or did you no. want to be a writer? I really wanted to be a writer and a director. I, I you know, only was, I only did my public access show uh, that became this MTV show because I did not have anybody else to do it with. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I just had no other, you know, friends or performers so you did you actually refuse to show up to film one day no what happened was i uh we were all set to do a second season and then i had a bad drug problem and that had to get dealt with and while i was dealing with the drug problem they you know they they said uh you know and by the way i'm sober you know 
years today mm. and it's 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 with the great gift of my life is and it comes before everything else and i'm gonna do uh dr drew and his pot like i'm it's all it's 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 very important to me the, right. the sobriety, sobriety stuff um and i don't talk about it very often unless somebody wants to talk about mm. it like i i don't like to lead with that part of my story because it's only one part of my story and but i will talk about it from a place of recovery but what happened was i i you know was high and drunk and and that needs to that had to get dealt with and while i was dealing with that um especially at mtv at the time in the 90s you know we're only like a couple of years away from kurt cobain and that whole thing right you know of just people didn't know how to deal with somebody with addiction problems at were that time. you drinking and using during like all the time during the oh day? yeah i was i was Around the clock. i was like, a, super Person that was, I was not a sober person. Right. Yeah. You know, is, you know, if you're going to do it, do Were it. Were you shooting That's up? Like, no, not, not, not that. And, and, and very, but at some point, at some point later, but that was, a, I had a bad couple of weeks. Okay. So you had a relapse. I had a relapse. Yeah. In my, cause what happens w- w- with me is if you get sober when you are 17, 18 years old, by the time you're 21, 22, and you, you, you get a couple of years, you're going to go, okay, I can drink responsibly Mm -hmm. and you can't. And so today I'm sober 10 years Mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, that is, that is my life today. But in my, in my twenties, I had a, you know, a a minor relapse. Did you go to rehab? I went to rehab when I was 17. Did you want to go or did, were you pushed into going? I was pushed into going. How did that go down? They came, my parents came to my office. My parents who do not speak came to my office and said, you're going to rehab. And I said, oh, what do you say? Were, were you trying to deny that you had a problem? Of course. Up until they, you know, they checked me in. Of course. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's what every sort of person does. And then when I became like a grown up, then in my, in my, you know, mid twenties, then it was just like, oh, this doesn't work. And then I just, you know, I, I go to this, you go to the secret place where the people go, you know, uh, once a day for a while and, uh, and you talk about things. How, if you don't mind talking about it, yeah. um, cause I'm always very interested in, in this, how if it, I always talk about recovery stuff because how, it's a huge part of my life. How long were you in rehab? Uh, about 30 days, 40 days. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, you know, again, it was. I think there are the rehab today is better. We're this we're talking about 20 years ago. Um so it was one of those places where they yell at you and they break you down and they build you up. It was not a good the care wasn't very good. Right. But that was the place that you could deal with an adolescent at that time. You know? So you're with other young people. Not really, you know, but youngish, youngish, but not the uh you know, it was it was it was a a negative uh experience you know right. the only the one big positive came out of it and it planted the, the seed of recovery and the 12 step you know what i mean right. I, I i could i could say so say it about was that 12 step pocket. yeah th- that place that you know 12 step recovery mm-hmm. which is you know what i do today and i think that you know it's you're not supposed to you know talk about it on a on a podcast and or anonymity whatever. at the and level of, of, but yeah. they don't say podcast but they don't so. say podcast you're right <laughs> That's Press a real yeah i go to alcoholics anonymous and it's pretty great and uh, and and, and has been, you know, a, a huge, it's a huge part of, uh, you know, my story, which, uh, you know, you know, yeah, I write on all these TV shows and stuff, but, it, but for me, everything comes from, a, has to start from a place of self-care. And that's something that I finally figured out in my uh, mid twenties. Mm-hmm. And as I now am closer to 40 than I am to 30, uh, it boy feels really good. 
it just feels really good to, so, to just wake up every day and and like the ups and downs of show business stuff. It's like, oh, it doesn't matter because I'm okay inside. <laughs> you know, I want that. You can have that. <laughs> what um, you can wait, you can have that. You, uh, I have moments of that. Sure. But, well, we all have bad. Mo- I, I have moments of oh, it doesn't feel good. You know. Yeah. But but for the most part, you can you can have that. The and it's and it's unfortunate because I used to hear people years ago say to me like, the minute you stop worrying about external validation and all that, worrying about the cash prices, that's when it's all going to come. And I did like, they yeah. use that voice? Yeah, they <laughs> they feel like they did. Or that's how I heard it. Right. And God help them if they weren't right. You know, it's just yeah. like the minute that you're just like, I'm okay where I am right now, and I'm right sized with my thinking, and I and 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 I don't need. You know, Marin says a really great thing. He's like, show business is not your parents. You know, <laughs> it's it's Marin's line, but it's it's true. You know, oh, yeah, no, I've tried to make. I mean, that came up in therapy years ago. Like, I've I've tried to make not just show business, but the whole world, the whole parents. world. Yeah, yeah, no, it's got. I you know, the minute that I started to really feel okay inside, like, is when. First of all, my work got better. Mm-hmm. My, you know, my writing got better. And then I'm so glad because I've had a crazy couple of years um, uh, professionally in very, very good way. And I'm so happy that it didn't happen a minute before it was supposed to. I'm just, you know, it, it, it was just one of these things where it's like, you know, like I sold a show to IFC, Ben Stiller's, you know, wants to direct it, all this stuff, you know, That's just awesome. all, oh, it was crazy. It Wait, was, now the, 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 excuse me, did that just happen? This was last year. Okay. This was last year. Was last year? Well, last year I was writing it. Um, I wrote a, I wrote a, I needed a... I mean, I don't know if you, that's a whole other thing, but like, you know, I, I got hired to write on Billy on the street and, uh, and then it was just like, I need to have a spec for when that starts airing. And I wrote a spec script and it got bought and, um, uh, Ben still, it got sent to a bunch of different places and Ben Stiller really liked it. And we went, I got to go to every network with Ben and say, here's the show that we want to do and he'll direct it. And then, you know, IFC picked it up and we, uh, you know, I've been just been, I've just been in the process of developing that. That takes a long time, but they've ordered a bunch more scripts and you know, it's, it's, yeah. So, so, but I'm so glad things like that didn't happen a minute before they were supposed Mm. to. And, and it really did happen, you know, like once I was sort of in a place to accept these great gifts that, that come. You know? See, sometimes I say, because like I want to believe everything that is meant to happen will happen, and you just have to sort of be open to it, uh, and things happen at their own pace, and blah blah blah, and um, yeah, and chill. However, <laughs> however, yes, that you're, that's the ideal place to be, but the trick is no, we get frustrated and we get impatient. Well, because the other the because then I think I get this like. It's not in in the worst version of it. It's it's desperation, but usually it's usually it's, it's resentment not there, and it's anger, and it's impatience. It's impatience, yeah. and it's like fuck. I'm invisible. I got to mm-hmm. get out there. Mm-hmm. I got to hustle. I got to be doing this. I got to like right yeah. now. There's this phone call that I should be making to someone who could like maybe help my career or work with me. Who through another friend was mm-hmm. like, yeah, tell her to call me. It's been on my to-do list each day, but I'm like, I'm not in the right headspace to make this Okay, call. that is, can I, can I just say, that's bullshit. That's bullshit. And that's a thing that I've only recently in the last couple of years gotten over. Um, there is a big, because we don't want to be the person that, I, if you're like me, I don't want to bother anybody. 
No, I, I don't want to. Do I don't want to seem. I want um, everyone to come to me. Yeah, but you have but to. I feel like and I it's a de- it's a delicate balance of like putting yourself out there in an appropriate way. Yeah, um, that's and, all like. Yeah. Like the words just went like, yeah. like I don't know what the appropriate way is. Yes, you do. You're okay. a decent human being Thank on the you. planet Earth. You know when <laughs> somebody comes to you in a way that feels gross. Yeah. And you don't, you won't do that. It's just having a little trust and faith in yourself. Mm-hmm. And like that to me, I was able to get that. And that sort of has come to me just from like self-care, you know, self-care, just the things that I need to do for self-care and just like. And it's a little bit at a time, you know? So you, so what you're saying is bullshit is that like, I'm, you should pick up the phone. If somebody said, call this person, you know, because look, um, I wrote on the wet, hot American summer, uh, TV show. Mm -hmm. Here's how long I know those guys. Um, the very first email that I ever did was with David Wayne. (laughs) Um, David Wayne, uh, the state were guests on my public access show. Um, they did the pilot for my MTV show. I'm in the movie Wet Hot American Summer for five seconds. Um, they have always liked me, and I've just been sort of like, oh, Jake's a good good guy, and I'll you know, throw him in or we'll help him out and stuff. And um, I had written this script, you know, uh, I, I had a, and I was working at Funny or Die, and I'd made a bunch of Funny or Die videos, and my agent said, they're going to do Wet Hot American Summer um tv show we're going to submit you as a writer for it now i uh she's like you know david and michael right and i said yeah i do and i said you should you should reach out so in the past i would probably go i don't want to bother them with that and who am i to da, da, da. and i said you know what this time around i have a script that's you know that ben stiller's like i'm working at funny or die i have legitimate material that it's it's not like they're certainly not going to hire me because they like me when I was a teenager. You know, that that's that's not how people get jobs for things. Mm-hmm. But I do have some work that I could say, hey, I know they're going to submit me formally, but like, just so you know. Um, and so I, I wrote David an email and I said, hey, I just talked to my agent and they said you're going to do the show. And I know you guys can hire you can hire anyone in the world for this, but I just like to throw my hat in the ring and and uh I've been working at Funny or Die, I have the script and stuff. And I was so nervous to send that email. But I forced myself what to What was it. the fear? The fear that he'd be like, ugh. Ugh, this person. Right. Ugh, like, no, you're, you're like, I don't take, I don't think of you that way. Or, <laughs> you know, yeah, you're afraid. You're afraid. You're afraid of looking foolish. You're yeah. afraid of looking um, desperate. You're afraid, right. you know what I mean? You're, fr- you're just afraid. You're just afraid. Mm-hmm. And um, he emailed me back in two minutes. And the email didn't say, we'd love to have you. It said, yeah, great. Send me what you have. That's awesome. And then I sent the script and then they agent sent it and then they had a meeting. You know, I, I had to go in for a meeting and then, and then you're just in the process of as anybody gets hired. But if I didn't send that email, you have to send those emails, you mm-hmm. know, and you know when it's appropriate. And it's like, it's not like, hey, can, it's like, can I have a job? It's like, look, I know you're, you're looking because my professional people told right. me and stuff and and um I, i'd love to be considered there there's nothing wrong with like cuz like right now we're, i'm reading packets from we they're staffing up the next season of billy on the street mm-hmm. and i'm helping to find the writers for that and you're so, going to get a shitload of tweets from just saying that <laughs> well here here's what i'll say is um that submission we've got all our packets uh-huh. in we're starting starting to look and um 
And um, I did get a lot of emails from friends um, or friends of friends that said, hey, will you look at my packet before it goes in officially? And I looked at every single one of them. Um, there was, because the, the, because of the people that had gotten to me and they're not people that maybe I'm super close friends with, but they're like, oh no, oh yeah, sure. I'd be happy to, Mm -hmm. um, because ultimately I'm looking for writers, we're looking for writers for that show and we want to have, you know, nice people and, you know, you know, you, I'm not, I was not bothered by the people that had written me. Now, if it was somebody on Twitter that I don't know, will you look at like, not only am I not going to look at I mean, we're going to throw it in the garbage. Like that's like, you know, but like, I think you, Allison, are a reasonable human being who would know what's appropriate and what's not appropriate. Thank you. You have to trust yourself there. Yeah. It's funny that you're the second person to, it was different situations, but to essentially be like, I have to stop you right there and say that is bullshit. It's like I tell someone something and I think what I want them to tell me is, yeah, it's fine to just hide out in your house. Sorry, this has gotten incredibly personal about me. It's fine to just hide out in your house and wait till the time is right because everything happens when it's supposed to happen, so it's cool. But instead, you and the other person were like, you're fucking up by not going out there and putting yourself out there. You're not fucking up. It's like, I wouldn't you... Or rather, the wrong move is to not put yourself out there. It's like, I've really taken a hit in the putting myself out there department I would just look at the fear. That's the only thing that I would yeah. say is like, why, like, you know, because we all have fear and fear is a good instinct. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like fear is a thing. Like I have a fear of like, you know what? I'm probably not going to have a drink. It's not a good thing for me. You know, I I, I have a healthy fear right. of, of certain things. And, you know, I'm we look both ways before crossing the street. But we also invent a lot of fear for ourselves that we don't want to have, you know, that we don't need to have. Right. And um you know, and I don't know your specific, you know, situation, but like, you know, all I know is I had a, I had a friend that was like, oh, I, I have an idea for a book, but I have to do this book proposal and I haven't really done it. And I'm like, well, just finish the thing. Like, just finish. I was afraid to write a script for a really long time. Like, you know, just, you know, because it needed to be perfect. And then finally I said, well, this is the best that I can do right now. And the thing got bought and, you know, Ben Stiller and I'm hired from all these shows now. Like, you just have to finish the thing or put yourself out there and, and, you know, and in a right sized reasonable way um, that you can handle when you can handle it. Well, a lot of it is like, I, I don't go on a lot of auditions these mm-hmm. days but i know that with like two phone calls i could sure because i know the people at the agency who would send me out do you and want do you want to i want the work i don't but but the fear is like i then i put myself into my own shoes tomorrow where they call and they say okay you have an audition you know in two days well i don't blame you for that and, and i'd be but, like you know, oh i don't want to do it i hate it i don't <laughs> yeah. like doing that at all um, I have, there is that process. I'm so glad, like when I say I don't have the disease of wanting to be a sinner, I'm so glad I don't want to be an actor. You know what I mean? Right. Maybe I need to accept that if I'm having this much resistance, maybe I don't you want don't it. You don't want to do I it. Except I kind, I, I you want would like parts to be, of it. You want parts of it. Look, if somebody call, like I've had friends call me up and, and say, here's a role for you. Here's a role <laughs> for you. Or I had a friend call me up recently in the last year on a big show. And they were like, would you read for this? We, we think you'd be really good for it. 
And I wrote back to them and I, cause I played the tape of it through and I said, what is the best case scenario here that I get this and then I'm on the set and I'm not really an actor and I'm very uncomfortable mm-hmm. doing that. And I'm doing it in front of big people that I respect on something that is definitely going to be seen. And I just wrote back like, why don't you call this person? <laughs> like, I just am not, it's not what I want to do. Like I ultimately right. was like the best case scenario for, for me here is stressful and that's that's a different kind of fear. It's like, I don't want, like, what's in that for me? I don't want to be an actor. Right. You know, do I want to do something funny on TV every once in a while? Sure. But like, like, I'm not looking to get on at midnight. Like, it's (laughs) like, that's a stress. That's going to be an annoying day. At midnight is actually very fun. I'm sure. I'm sure. But like, for me, it's just like, well, what what do I have dates to promote? (laughs) Like, I don't have anything to promote on that. If I have my own television series that I created, then, you know, like, sure, Mm. I'll go on it. But like, you know, and it's no offense to at midnight. It's great. I have a million friends that work there and I love Chris, but it's just like, I don't need, like, I'm, I'm getting more specific with what right. makes me happy and what I want to do. And what I want to do is make television shows with my friends, which I'm very blessed to get to do and write and run, you know, be, grow up to be a showrunner one day mm-hmm. or direct a movie or, you know, that five people will see probably on a VOD release. And that's <laughs> fine, you know? Let's take some questions over Twitter, but first I want to talk to you guys about Betterment. They're the largest and fastest growing automated investing service, managing over $3 billion for over 100,000 customers. They help people manage and grow their wealth through smarter technology for a fraction of the cost of traditional financial services. They offer exceptional customer service and great advice, helping you make better financial decisions, invest for your personal goals, and stay on track for retirement. So for example, you can tell them what your goals are. They can give you actionable steps to get there even taking into account your non-betterment assets. They'll tell you if you're on track or off track to meet your goal, and then they'll implement the plan for you. The technology automates everything from rebalancing and tax-efficient investing to deposits and personalized advice. Get up to six months of automated investing free and more information when you go to betterment.com slash Allison. That's betterment, B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T.com slash Allison. Betterment, investing made better. Okay, let's take some questions that people sent in over Twitter. When we ask, they send them in. They're wondering how you have been. So thanks so much for answering these questions from our fans. Okay. Lost Star Trek, or LA Star Trek says, is writing for a streaming network more liberating slash less censored than for a traditional TV network? Well, I've not, ri- I've, I've not written on a network show. I've, I've, I've had very, well, that's not true. I've done some stuff for like pilots and stuff, but like, uh, the, I, I feel very spoiled <laughs> in that all of my experiences, uh, in, in writing narrative stuff now have been with these, like, you know, with Netflix and Hulu and even developing with sort of IFC is just, they, I think television is different now. Uh, for most of television, maybe not the traditional broadcast network, the four, the big four broadcast networks, but for most of television, like if they pick up your show and they want to do your show, they sort of leave you alone to do their show. I will say, um, you know, with difficult people and with what hot American summer, that's something knows from the network is somebody else's problem. Uh, my experience in developing with IFC was that their notes were good. 
uh, there wasn't they were very minimal. They were good. And uh, there's nothing that I disagreed with. So I, I've been very lucky that everything has been collaborative. And I think that is a factor of, of streaming television is sort of the state of television right now. And that there's there's too many channels and nobody's going to get the day of the days of we're going to get 40 million people to tune into the final episode of MASH are over. Right. The best that any of these places can hope for is a couple million people watching. Mm. So just make the show that only that the couple million people are going to enjoy. And you don't have to talk to everybody right now. And I think that that's made the notes process less cumbersome unless you have dumb executives which you know i guess they're out there but i haven't dealt with them and you were saying that with something like wet hot notes were someone else's problem well notes weren't like i don't with wet hot american summer that was sort of like this you were coming from this sort of established movie thing and michael and david's vision is so clear and we were all staff writers just trying to sort of help serve their vision and then you know we wrote drafts of scripts and then they sort of punched them up and then you know fixed it on on set while they were filming one hot american summer i was writing difficult people in new york so uh you know all i know is that like the drafts that from when i left on a thursday uh, to to start on difficult people on a Monday in New York City, and then you know whatever it was six months later, everything debuted on Netflix, or I went to the screening and watched all of the episodes of What Hot American Summer. I was like, holy crap, that's sort of what we wrote. That's pretty much what we wrote. So if there were notes, I don't know where they came from. Right, I, and I think it was just a lot. I think there's a lot of trust mm-hmm. in in Michael and David, and and also a lot of trust in you know Julie Klausner and Scott King on difficult people, and you know. And Billy Eichner, who's given Billy Eichner notes? It was really interesting. I had Showalter on the show recently, and he was saying that the success of the Netflix show kind of changed the wet hot narrative. Yes. Because because he felt like the movie was not a success. And I was surprised by that because coming from like as a comedy fan, I always thought it was a great movie and it's a great series. I didn't realize that he felt... Dis, you know, disheartened Show, by what Showalter, um, I, I, I feel like I've talked to Showalter about this. It's like he thought it was going to be Animal House, <laughs> you know, like a, a huge um, blockbuster. blockbuster, you know, and the thing was released, you know, it went to Sun. I was at Sundance with it, you know, like it's so crazy when I think about what Hot American Summer, just because I remember going to the very first reading as they were trying to get money to make it at William Morris and, and now, and then being writing on the show and stuff. It's just, yeah, when the movie came out, it was a, a, a bomb in any stretch of the imagination. Roger Ebert hated the movie so much. He wrote a, a song parody about it of hello, mother, hello, father. So, um, but to me, I was very much like you. I was just like, yeah, well, it's great. It's great. And you know, it's right. And, and it became like a cult thing. But it, I think if your expectations were like, this is, you know, animal house. <laughs> right. Then you're gonna be disappointed. Yeah. Um, Stephen Gellis says, where does he buy jeans that big? I'm not sure what that's a reference to. There's a, you know, the uh, Twitter, you know, weird Twitter. These. Oh, I hate weird Twitter. Yeah. Here, here's the thing. You get, you get these. Unless weird... you guys are my listeners. Yeah. Thanks. Well, this a couple of listeners. Here's the thing about this weird Twitter. I'll tell you, this is a phenomenon in like 2013 where it got some attention. Um, here's what I'll say to weird Twitter. They're, they're asking about big jeans. There's a photo. I, I, a friend of mine, John Hendren, is begrudgingly associated with this thing. <laughs> he's just a guy. He's a very funny writer. 
Uh, and uh, he happens to have the username at fart on yes. Twitter. He's very funny. John Hendren, the man, a great man and very funny. So we took, he was on my podcast years ago and we took a photo and uh, I had, I had some jeans that were big and John had some very big jeans. So they like to harp on the fact that big jeans. So this is why I'll say to weird Twitter. Since that photograph, I have become very, very rich and very successful in show business and I got uh, uh, bought new jeans. I got I'm just just and then and new suits and just uh, I have a I have a wonderful life in show business where I'm rich and so you'll see my jeans right now. These are beautiful. They're from Top Man. They're very skinny. They fit perfectly. They fit perfectly. So uh, so I don't have the big jeans anymore. And uh, and I'm better than you and smarter than you. And uh, and and you all will respect me. And you need to wear the T-shirts that have been made that say, I respect Jake Fogelnest. That's what I say to weird Twitter, you scumbags. Devin says, uh-huh. will the Fogelnest files ever return? And if so, what will his role be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, when you put it that way, yes, it will. It will return. Uh, and my role will be executive producer, and it is now going to be um, hosted by Ted Cruz. <laughs> Ted Cruz will be hosting new episodes of Vulgar Spells. Um, I think at this point, I can safely say, I uh, if it does return, it'll return as like a limited series type thing. I don't know when, uh, but I can't imagine a situation. You know, it's a long life. I can't imagine there's not going to be a situation where I'm not talking to somebody on a microphone mm-hmm. again. You know, interviewing people. It's a huge. I love doing that, but. Not right now. Jordan Francis wants to know which 90s sketch comedy show he prefers, Kids in the Hall or Mr. Show? That's so tough. I mean, my gut says Mr. Show, um, but Kids in the Hall is is equally wonderful. They're they're both important, Mm -hmm. you know, and the state for that matter. And uh, I I don't want to... You know, I I rewatch. I find myself returning to Mr. Show more often. I think that was just such a hugely influential show to my generation of comedy people at UCB. Uh, you know, but, but boy, I love that. I, I just can't believe I've gotten to work with any of those like people, like David Cross or all the all the kids in the hall guys. I made a did a sketch with Dave Foley and mm-hmm. Tracy Lords recently, and it was like. The f- how did I? I don't want. I'd still get. I still get weirded out by <laughs> stuff like that. Douglas Reinhardt says, "If you could slam dunk on anybody, who would it be?" Oh man! First of all, I can't, it's it's one of those. I can't slam dunk on anybody. I mean, I'm just <laughs> if I just could. If I could, I'll just let's just just. I'm not crazy enough to think that I'd be any good at basketball. Who would be fun to slam dunk on? Uh, this Martin Sh- Shrekel, is that his name? Who's this guy? The, the, yeah, the, the guy Jack or something. Martin, Sh- Martin, Martin. Yeah, I feel I like Martin, be- something like Shkelly. How about this? Get a get a Shkelly. pronounceable uh, last name. You twerp. <laughs> That's what he, he. I'd like to slam dunk on that guy, just because. First of all, I think it's a it, it just a one hundred percent down the middle fair fight. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, I think we should actually have like a boxing match because it would be fair. Like I, he, I could beat him up. He could beat me up. Um, I, he is, you know, playing the super villain right now. I think it'd be fun to slam dunk on that guy. Is it Screlly? Now I've got to know. How do you pronounce that? That twerp's name? He's a twerp. Screlly. Screlly. Yeah. Like S- scrunchy, but screlly. The best is I've heard him described as an emo turd. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, that's it. And let's see. Last. Or or uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, just because fucking that'd be the weirdest headline ever. <laughs> Fogelnest slam dunks on Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. 
And lastly, Paul Champanelli says, what's the best thing about being a Hollywood bad boy? Probably the best thing about being a Hollywood bad boy is uh, getting to play by your own rules. <laughs> uh, and uh, I got I got a nice... Uh, I got a nice balcony now. I look over Hollywood and I just yell, I am a king. And then, you know, having dinner with uh, all the guys from Entourage, all those dudes. It's the best. (laughs) Okay, let's do Just Me or Everyone. Sometimes I ponder on something I have thought or done. Is it just me or everyone? Okay, this is where people write in with things they think or do, and they wonder, is it just me or is it everyone? And we weigh in. Mrs. B. Harper says, few times a celebrity has been rude to me. I immediately think, can't wait to be more famous than you so I can have revenge. (laughs) That is such a deep question to ask. It really depends on the person. It really, really depends on the on the celebrity. But it, haven't you had that thought before that like, oh, just you wait. Absolutely. I've had that thought yeah. um, in recent weeks. I've had it. <laughs> but, you know, but I am someone who can't let resentment build. And like I, I try to calm when I have like a perceived slight. I try to I try to calm it. But there's a couple of these motherfuckers. Who, yeah, I can't wait. And it will. You got to tell me who it is off the mic. Oh, I definitely will. Okay. James Leroy Wilson says, when clicking a headline, I want to read an article, not watch or listen to a clip. I get annoyed when media starts loading. I do too. I get super annoyed. It's the worst. There's an intrinsic contract I think we have as internet users that I'm clicking a link and there's going to be text first. Mm -hmm. And and anyone who breaks the social contract of like having a video play automatically or music. Yeah. Yeah. CNN does this. And, and, and TMZ has a thing now where just you're, you click it and then some video starts playing. I don't know what it is. And it's, it's like, sometimes it's hard to find it on the page. Yeah. You like, can't, my can't. computer's yelling I'm, at me and, and I, I don't know where it. I'm muted. And I just yeah. want to find out, you know, what, you know, Amber Rose said or something, you know, or, and, and something starts playing and yeah, that's, it's bad etiquette. Mm-hmm. I hate it. Also, I'll do the thing where I unmute some, my computer because I want to listen to something, yeah. and then something else is it's playing. playing in the and background. Like it's been playing for forty-eight hours. These people are monsters, and how dare they try to monetize this free service that we all use? How yeah. dare they try to monetize their websites that I expect to read for free? Sellouts. Yeah. Okay, Megan says, when prompted to create a password that has unmemorable requirements, just say, fuck it, not remembering this and make no effort. I have done that. I have done the thing where I'm like, oh, I'll just hit forget my password when it when I need to log back into this. That is such a good idea. It's not. It's I don't not? think it's a good idea. No, it, it wastes time. Well, I just, I don't know. I I have not found a system, a system yet. And it's real. And it is a, a bummer. And God forbid there's ever fraud on your credit card. Yeah. Which, which happens to me now at least every six months where it's just, that's not on my specific credit card. We're just, the bank will just say, Hey, uh, target got hacked. Maybe you shop there. Maybe you didn't, but we're sending you a new credit card. Barclays. Uh, no, what's that? Oh, Barclays is a credit card that like every three, I feel like, it's a good credit card, but every three months, yeah, I feel like they send fraud. a new yeah. card. Yeah, and what it's, that means which is now, super annoying. What that means is that is, and I've I've timed it out. Like it's an it's an hour of your life 
going back into everything and putting in the new and number. putting in the new credit yes, card number. It's enough to actually make me think I don't want. I maybe I don't want this credit card. Anymore. I finally ha- created rewards. a thing on my phone that said, "Here's your pa- like here is." everything when you when your fraud happens again here's all the websites that you have to go to and it's it's a nightmare jeff here would recommend one password one password it's a great app it works on your phone and your regular computer and it'll sync the two so that they're always in sync what happens when one password gets hacked well it's they don't they don't no they don't they they haven't yet but it stores uh it encrypts the file oh. that your passwords are on, oh, and then there's a password that you need to get in to get the encrypted okay. file. Okay, yeah, two, the two-step verification or something. I wanted to add it to my computer, and it said that I have to be running, like I'm running 10.9.5 or something, and mm-hmm. you need to be at 10.10, which I believe is L. okay, we're about to delve into Apple. I believe is El Capitan uh-huh. is the, if I go to try to update my software, it's El Capitan. Should I just upgrade to that? Because I feel like I think have I have, problems with I have, that. I have El Capitan. By the way, I think they should name the next uh, OS uh, operating system. Should be the uh, it should be ArcLight Dome. <laughs> be the center. Why well, didn't they start yeah, naming it after the big the movie theaters? Pacific, and... Pacific Grove. Pages. <laughs> um, I don't. I don't know. I. You should be able to install an older version. It shouldn't have to be right? the latest operating That's system. Because I, I definitely don't run. I run CineFamily on my computer. (laughs) Well, then I thought I just want to upgrade to, I guess, Yosemite, but I can't find that. I'm sure it's somewhere. You can get it through the App Store or whatever. Okay. Um, And on the credit card note, the the last time that Capital One sent me a credit card that I needed to change the numbers for it, I called them and made them give me money. Oh, wow. Yeah. How how did that work? Yeah. You were just like, how dare you? Yeah, I said... Why am I being sent a new card? And they said, well, you know, it could have been this. It could have been that. And I said, I've had this number for six years. And I said, I have no fraud on my card. This is your problem. This is your problem. Yeah. And they said, well, they did. And I said, well, that's Target's problem. Now you're making it into my problem. I said, I've done nothing wrong. Why do I need to spend an hour logging into all my accounts and changing all of that? And I said, I think you should give me money for the hassle. What did they give you? Uh... It was like twenty five or fifty. That's amazing. I never would have thought to do that. That's I love. How long did that phone call take? Not long, because I have other credit cards. So I just said, I said to them, "I have other cards." Yeah, yeah. I said, "I have other cards," and they didn't switch. So if you don't want to do this, then I don't care. I'll just cancel this card. Oh my god, I never. That's smart. That's really good. Thank you. I'm going to do that. I mean, it's like it's like every four months that this happens. Yes. Yeah. It's it's not. It doesn't make it worth it. But it's something. Right? It's, it's something, it's your, yeah. It's like you're back to zero if you can do that. Highly recommend it. Wow. I know that there's problems in the world or whatever. People need water and stuff. But like what you're saying makes a lot of sense. And also, I don't care about anything. I'm a big Hollywood asshole now. So there. You, you know where the constant changing of cards really becomes a pain in the ass if you try to return something at Nordstrom's? Because now I know that. What they'll tell you out there is that you can return anything at any time to Nordstrom. But my experience has been, at least at the one at the Grove, if they can't find it in the computer, if they if you don't have if you lost your receipt, if they can't find it in the computer, probably even if you have the receipt, they will not take it back. And the way they look it up in the computer is via your credit card number. Oh, so if you don't have the old number, yeah, that handy. happened to me. Huh. Stuck with a pair of earrings I didn't want till finally 
Finally, I cracked the code. No, let, I'll look at them after this. We can buy them from you. <laughs> okay. Lee Bruns says, after having baby wipes in the bathroom, I view anyone who doesn't have them as unclean. No, I don't have you gotta, that. You got to take it easy. Yeah. I just tell that guy to take it easy in general. <laughs> like, not many, not everybody wants that sensation every time. I get it. A tangling clean butthole. It's like, it's like. Uh, look, and I look, I don't this Amber Rose on Twitter shaming Kanye West because he enjoys a little ass. But I don't think that that should be a shameful thing. I don't, I don't like the gay panic that is associated with that <laughs> every panic. single time. It's just like, oh, but I'm so sick of that joke. But uh, but the, but baby wipes, that's a that's a choice. You can get plenty yeah. clean. You can get you can get very clean without him. You're being he's being judgy. Stop being so judgy. Although I don't know who it was who said this. Like if you had shit on your arm would you? i do and i do right and i want it there would you just wipe it away with tissue and be done no you'd wash it off yeah i'd wash it off i get okay yeah but i don't think of it that way but people people do wash their butts they just do it in the shower once a day that's yeah the other thing being that your your butt uncleanliness is constantly sequestered by a pair of underpants delivery it's got its own delivery system down there right there's a big difference between well, and it's it's kind of it's it's hidden in that yeah. that uh, crevice there, right? As so, opposed to being just hanging out on your forearm. It's filth. <laughs> it's all filth. Uh, Dennis C says, "Do you wash body, then wash and condition your hair, or are you a lunatic and wash your hair first <laughs> before washing your body, risking getting soap in washed hair?" Oh, oh boy. Yes, I. Sometimes when I'm shaving my armpits, I worry about getting soap or shaving cream because I go back and forth uh, into my freshly washed hair. But I'm trying to think what I do. I get in, I rinse my hair, then I wash myself. I guess I then I shampoo my hair, then I rinse my hair, then I put conditioner in, then I shave my legs with the conditioner in to let it really get in there. Sure, yeah. Then I rinse. Then I wash my face last to wipe off any remaining conditioner that might be on my face. That's my system. I don't know what – I feel like it changes up. Really? It's a, I think it's a day-by-day a day thing depending on what feels the grossest in the moment. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, I don't I don't have like a solid system with that because I, I'm just trying to play it back the last couple of days, which is – I'm sorry I'm not like Mary Lou Henner and I can't remember <laughs> But uh, yeah. No, How I, did you shower January 12th, 1981? Oh, yeah. I remember. Well, it was uh, it was 56 degrees that day. Yeah. I was on the uh, Paramount lot. And Andy called. She, 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 what if like, she's making everything up? But she's not because because they can. There's they certain things that she can. They fact check like she's she can just do that. It's fascinating. It's crazy. I love taxi. I wonder. Like, does her brain drive her nuts because she can do that? I don't is know. there any sort of there's this you short be able to turn yeah that off. like you can't turn that off there's this short story by borges that deals with this i think it's called funis the memoriam or something it's like someone who can't synth whose memory is so good that they can't synthesize it all hmm. and i forget what happens though it's obviously i don't have that problem i don't know i don't know but it's like if you can only remember everything then does it become difficult 
to like if you can if you can't see the forest for the trees because you're so vividly in the trees, does it become difficult to see the forest? I got to tell you this much: it's not a problem for Mary Lou Henner when her credit card gets fraud because she just she's probably got all right. This, yeah, she, she does. That's nothing. She to her. just rattles them That's off. Nothing to her. Brow advisor. I wonder if she's a professional eyebrow artiste. If not, she should be. She with should that, be with that screen name. And also because she's she's squatting on it, and there could yeah. be there's somebody out there right, like Anastasia, yeah, yeah who's desperate the brow guru. <laughs> um, extremely critical of others' windshield wiper habits. Light drizzle plus high frequency wiping equals cringe. Um, I don't notice it in other people, but in my own car, if there's not enough rain to warrant the fast wiping i get irritated by the squeaking sound i do find it fun when the windshield wipers uh sync up with the beat of uh, the song on the radio that's always fun that's everyone yeah demian cordova says we might have done this one i can hold my pee for a long time unless i just parked in front of my house then i got 60 seconds have we done that one i don't think so well i i mean i understand the psychological thing there yeah, I, I, that's sort of like... The yeah. emperor knows when you're home. Yeah. Is the emperor your penis? Well, the emperor's having to go to the bathroom. Okay. Um, of late, I have been experiencing a thing where it's it's like this, but it's even closer to the to the bathroom. I'll be like 15 feet away, and I'm like, I don't know if I can make it. Like, lately, my body is not sending me signals at the appropriate time. Oh, it's not giving you the proper heads up? I don't think it is. I think it's, like, giving me a heads up when I really, when it's too late. Or I'm just not heeding the signal. No, I feel like the older I get... You have to listen to yourself. (laughs) You don't be afraid to listen to yourself. I think the older I get, the less heads up my body gives me. I feel like that... I don't know that that's the case for you, but I feel like that's the way of the world. Maybe. Is that... As you get older, it just kind of sneaks up on you. I'm very in touch with my body, so. <laughs> late and actually, here I'm going to share something. This is normally Thursday show fodder, but late and I hope you're okay with this. I'm it's, fine. About, it's about to get scatological. That's fine. Lately, when I need to go number two, I don't experience the usual feeling that one would experience, which I've never really put into words. But you know what I mean when you're like, I think I need to go. It's time. Instead. I will get a tingle or an itch really, in my butt. And then I've now come... Everyone's looking like I'm crazy. It's really weird. No, I'm just curious. It's so strange. And I've come to... It doesn't feel like I need to go, but I just know that if I get that feeling, that mm-hmm. means that I have to go. And then I think, what the hell is going on in my body that I'm not getting the normal feeling? I'm. It's now I'm experiencing it as like a tingle or an itch. It's very weird. So you're getting... A sensation is just a different yes, kind it's of just, sensation. It'd be like if every time my left arm itched, I knew that I had to, Go had to grow a tail. Time? <laughs> yeah. It's really weird. Interesting. It could be. I'm I'm trying to get pregnant and doing IVF, so I feel like it could be some weird yeah, side effect you of could, all the hormones. Yeah, you could chalk it up to that. I will. Pretty easily. But does, that's a just me or everyone. I suspect it's just me, but anyone else out there, go to the bathroom when you get a tingle or an itch in your butt. <laughs> and if, you, if, you, if you're not, try it. Maybe give it a right. shot. See if it you like it. It might be telling it. you It might something. be fun. You don't know. Have you ever tried to, that thing where you're, you know you're 30 seconds away from going to the bathroom and all of a sudden it gets really urgent. Have you ever tried to psychologically move yourself into thinking it's 60 seconds away and seeing if the urgency goes away? 
No. I've tried to do that. It Does it work? work? No. Okay. <laughs> you know? Because you think, the only reason I have to go so bad is because my brain knows that I'm putting my keys in the door. I've never gone to the bathroom in my life. <laughs> I have to go to an art gallery after this. In Soho. I'm very sophisticated. <laughs> He's up on his balcony throwing full colostomy bags out onto <laughs> right. the masses. Yes, but that's for take, sexual reasons, it's not that. for anything filthy. And lastly, Lauren Kay says, and this is a holdover from the holidays. We should have done this one then. Grinch Song says, I wouldn't touch you with my, no, sorry, I wouldn't touch you with, my brain says someone else's dick. Have we done that one? <laughs> no. I think, yeah, I think that's hilarious. I wouldn't touch you with. Uh, uh, it's like a, t- a 10 foot pole is what is the actual line from that's the a, Grinch. That's a, it's like a roast joke. It's like, uh, it's Jeff Ross saying, uh, you know, to who I forget it was. I wouldn't fuck you with B. Arthur's dick. Right. Yeah. It's a, it's just like a, a good classic roast joke. Right. Yeah. But in, in the Grinch song, there is a part where he's like, yeah, I, I wouldn't, wouldn't touch you with a yeah. 170 foot pole. I think is maybe what it is. I don't no, know. I don't know. Anyway. Let's just look it up. I wouldn't touch you with Horton's dick, the the elephant who hears the (laughs) who. Right. Okay. Let's see. Here we go. Looking it up. Grinch wouldn't touch you with. Let's see what comes up. Your mean one, Mr. Grinch. uh, 39 and a half foot pole. Oh, that's very specific. That is very specific. I knew it was something specific. All right. Um. Jake Fogelnest. Yes. It was delightful having you on the show. Oh, thank you. very nice. This is a lot of fun. Thank you so much for doing this. Give Terry my best. <laughs> um, you guys, if you're going to buy something on Amazon, which you are because they have everything, click through the banner on my website, allisonrosen.com. doesn't cost you anything extra. It helps out the show. Thank you for your Amazon support. Thank you for your PayPal support. PayPal links on the website, allisonrosen.com. We have ringtones available. Hey, 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 go, go fuck yourself. And also... You can get these if you go to my website and click on store. Also, new t-shirts available in the store as well. And bonus episodes, um, the Bumbershoot bonus episode. Hopefully by the time you hear this, will be in iTunes. um, But you linked through the store. Although, I don't know. iTunes really... They take their sweet time. Um, follow me on Twitter at Allison Rosen. Follow the show's Twitter feed at A-R-I-Y-M-B-F. Email us, show at gmail.com. And uh, subscribe, iTunes.com slash Allison Rosen. Jeff, where should we go for you? You can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Colonel Jeff Fox, or you can find Jake and myself at the Partridge Family Convention this weekend, <laughs> Partridge Con 2016. Part Con? Part Con at the Beverly Hilton. Perfect. Who's, who's, who's at that? I'm just making it up. Bonaducci yeah. at that one? Oh, yeah. He started it. Oh, boy. Jake. Yes. Tell everyone where they can go to find you and plug anything you want them to check out. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Jake Fogelnest on Twitter. And then uh, I, got, I got nothing to plug right now. Billy and Street's uh, season just ended. Uh, they're filming Difficult People season two right now. And uh, you can watch all those things on uh, Get Caught Up if you have binge watching is a thing that people do. Why don't you binge watch some programs that I follow follow and support the television programs I'm involved with. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen show? 